This episode is sponsored by ByHeart. And I feel like I need to preface what I'm going to say with this. I'm a huge advocate of breastfeeding. Anyone who knows me well knows that nursing is something I believe in. And all five of our biological children were breastfed until they were 19 to 23 months old. However, we also have fostered and adopted, and I've been so grateful for formula companies in those situations. I'm also grateful for formula companies because our last two biological children, I really struggled with my supply and did all the things, spent so much time and effort, and just was never able to produce enough for them to be able to gain weight and not be hungry. And so I was so grateful for companies like Byheart. Byheart is an infant nutrition company built from the ground up to deliver real innovation on behalf of babies and parents. Their mission is simple, make the best formula in the world. Using the latest in breast milk science, Byheart created a clinically proven, easy to digest infant formula that's made with organic, grass-fed whole milk, certified clean ingredients, and features a patented protein blend that gets closest to breast milk. They're made with certified clean ingredients. It has no soy, corn syrup, GMOs, or palm oil. Curious about Byheart? Redeem your welcome offer at byheart.com forward slash podcast with code crystal for a limited time. Additional terms and conditions apply. So go to byheart.com forward slash podcast and use crystal to get your welcome offer. Welcome to the Crystal Pain Show, where we help you embrace your life right where you are and give you practical steps to get to where you want to go. Whether you are in your car, folding laundry, cooking, cleaning, or maybe even just enjoying a cup of coffee and a few minutes of quiet, we're so glad you're joining us today. Here's your host, wife, mother of four, foster mom, entrepreneur, and author, Crystal Payne. Welcome to another episode of The Crystal Pain Show. As I told you last week, I am so excited to have in studio Shanti Feldham. And I don't even know how to describe everything that she has done and is doing in her life. So Shanti, I am just going to throw it over to you and say, can you, can you in, I don't know, a few minutes, if that's even possible, tell us a little <laughs> about yourself. Oh, thanks. You're, I think you're setting me up way more than I deserve. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm a social researcher. I'm an author. We've known each other for 15 years, something, something like, like that. that. Yeah. I was just thinking, I read your four women only book back 15 years ago in our little basement apartment when my husband and I were just <laughs> early married. I was just thinking about that. So, go ahead. Oh, that's sweet. I, um, yeah, we, the, the thing that we feel really led to do is to use the analytical background that Jeff and I have. Um, I have a master's that's very analytical, worked on Wall Street. Jeff is an attorney. Um, and to use that background in a different way than <laughs> Wall Street and analyzing large Japanese banks and instead trying to dig out what matters to people and relationships. So that's what we were doing with this project. And so how many books have you written? Um, I think probably about 15 if you just count the books and don't count like all the subsidiary stuff that comes on. You understand what I mean by this. <laughs> so a lot of books, quite a few. <laughs> and this is your latest one, Thriving in Love and Money, Five Game-Changing Insights About Your Relationship, Your Money, and Yourself. And as I was telling my audience last week, there are a lot of books that are about how to set up a budget and how to do money well and how to be strategic and wise and intentional and all that. But this book 
goes way deeper than that. And then you brought in all this research to this project as well. I'd love to hear just how did this book come to be? Why did you write this book? Well, this is actually a totally, it's a crazy story. Um, We had finished our last research project and didn't know what we were supposed to do next and didn't know how we would pay for it. Mm -hmm. It was the first time in almost 20 years that I didn't have a sense of what was in front of me and the the business model that we've been working with had changed so much. And these research projects, they're big nationally representative surveys. You know, you can't just like randomly come up with 60 or Mm $70,000, right? It's, it's, a very interesting thing. And we went, okay, you know, I don't need to be writing books anymore. I don't need to do this. You know, I was praying about it and, um, and I felt like, no, it's okay. Something will come. And, um, nine days later, which thank God he didn't have me wait too long. (laughs) Nine days later, out of the blue, got a call from a company at the time that I'd never heard of. It's called Thrivent Financial. Mm-hmm. It's a big financial services company, very active in the Midwest, but you know, we live in the Southeast, hadn't really been aware of it. And uh, they said, you know, we are really aware um, that money is a big issue in a lot of people's marriages. We don't think it has to be though. And how would you feel about making this your next research project and us funding it? And we're like, oh my goodness. And I have to be really honest with you, Crystal, and with your audience to make sure that I don't present myself differently than I am. Um, we really knew that this was a very miraculous answer for us. We knew that this was what we were supposed to do. We've been working on marriage research for years and years and had never studied money, even wow. though it's one of the biggest issues in marriage. And there was a very clear reason for that because <laughs> this was the one area of our marriage after all these studies and we'd incorporated everything we learned This was the one area where Jeff and I were not on the same page at all. So we were a little scared because we knew we would have to actually come together on this. Well, and so when they came and offered this to you, were you excited about the project or was it one of those things where you're like, I don't know. (laughs) Very, very much both. It was, it was very much a, oh my goodness, like this is true. This is a huge issue. As a researcher, I knew statistically, this was a huge issue in marriage. And at the same time going, oh my goodness, this means we're going to have to deal with it <laughs> in our own marriage. How long of a time frame was it that you were researching and then writing this book? It was about a three-year process. So all of our projects are kind of in that frame. So how was that for your marriage? Oh, well, you know what? Actually, to be candid, even as scared as we were, um, and this is an encouragement for anybody listening who's in that place where they and their spouse are not on the same page, it was really, really encouraging to see that very quickly, once we started seeing some of the things that were coming out as the issues in marriage, because you know we weren't studying how do you create a great budget. We were studying how do you have a great relationship around money and why do people get sideways to begin with and all of those things. And we started to see what was underneath it and started applying it right away, just kind of naturally understanding each other. Suddenly we were able to talk about money for the first time without slamming doors and going wow. off into our own corners. Yeah, it was amazing. So you were kind of the case study for this book we to were. say this works. <laughs> yes, we kind of were. We were the guinea pigs. And so we can encourage you if that's you. It's actually simpler than you realized. 
One of the things I loved at the beginning of the book is that you talked about getting a book for you and your spouse and each individually going through the book and highlighting and marking things. Yes. Or you said if you were brave, you could actually have one book and and mark it in the, <laughs> at the same time. You might not want to see what the other, what your other, what your spouse is actually writing and theirs at the same time. But I thought that that was really smart to I was like, you could do that with any book. And that would be a really wise thing to do of going through a book separately, but together and taking notes and then seeing what stands out and really being able to talk about it together. Well, if you think about it, this, the, and I should probably explain because your listeners are like, what? Um, This is really digging out what's underneath the surface. It's all the things that are going on in your heart and your spouse's heart that you have no idea, like all these expectations and things under the surface. And so this is essentially, if you go through this, or you're right, this would work with a lot of books, read it about yourself first and, Mm -hmm. you know, with a pen in hand and go, oh my goodness, that is why I got so upset. I never would have been able to articulate what was under the surface. And you do that about yourself all the way through. Your spouse does the same thing. And then when you trade, you're reading this, I guess for lack of a better word, like a personalized tour into their heart and mind. Mm -hmm. And, um, and it certainly for me and Jeff was tran- transformational. And how long have you all been married? I forgot. 25, almost 26 years. Yeah. Cheers. Okay. Well, I know that there are so many people who are listening, who are thinking, okay, if they were struggling with this for so many years, just not wanting to face these money issues. And then they uncovered all these principles that have really changed their ability to have conversations about money what are these principles? So it it says thriving in love and money, five game changing insights about your relationship, your money and yourself. And so maybe we're not going to call them principles. Maybe they're insights, but um, you can call them whatever. (laughs) I'd love for you to just at a high level, I want to dive into some specifics, but at a high level, just tell us what the five insights are. Yeah. So, well, there's actually probably an insight zero that we should talk about that we should at least explain first, because all these things is, is, sort of an outgrowth of the truth of what we found big picture, which is that when you're having these kinds of tensions around money or fighting or avoiding talking about it so that you don't fight, the, what's going on is when you're fighting about money, it's not about the money. It turns out it's how money makes you feel and how it's making your spouse feel and all these expectations and worries under the surface. So those five are digging out what are those things um, so that you can talk about it because that's what we found makes the biggest difference mm. is if you can talk about money, that's what is going to be protective of and help your relationship and turn this from a opportunity for conflict to an opportunity for connection. I so, love that opportunity to turn <laughs> an opportunity for conflict into an opportunity for connection. That yeah. completely like this is game changing. Yeah. That completely mm-hmm. changes how you're approaching things. It does. So Look, you want me just to overview them very, very high level and then yes. we can go back in whichever one you want. Yes. Okay. So the first one is probably the most common in terms of everybody having the everyday friction kind of stuff, um, which is that we don't realize that we're not valuing what the other person is valuing. Mm. Like literally just don't realize this other person is different. They might care about something different than I do. We sort of think of our views as our values and what's what matters to us is, well, it's just right. I mean, everybody just, it's clear. And we have to recognize the other person's values can be just as legitimate as ours, even if they're very different. So we can come back to that if you want. Um, the second principle is actually at a very deep level, we have very different fears and worries that are running under the surface. 
And there's very little about the money research we found that was um, gender related, mm-hmm. unlike some of our previous books. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, for example, men and women are equally likely to be savers and spenders, for example. But this particular one, it did have a pretty strong gender correlation um, where men and women tend to have different things that just seem very, very scary to them that they're trying to stay away from. And so we can come back to that if you want. Um, the third one, <laughs> this is one that pretty much affects 100% of us, is that we don't realize that we're kind of just trying to do and want to do what we want to do. And so we're trying to sort of avoid being one in marriage anyway, subconsciously, and it's coming out in how we handle money. And so that's one of those things we have to be really honest with ourselves about, that we're trying to avoid that sense of it's not you and me anymore, it's we. And I kind of want it to be you and me because I want to do what I want to do. The fourth one is actually another one that tends to be a bit gender-related, which is um, often in communication about money, we process things very differently. And there is actually a little bit of a difference, actually a pretty major difference in some ways, in the brain wiring between men and women. And it gets in the way in a lot of decisions and a lot of communication, very much including money. And then the fifth one is that we, we tend to have, without really realizing it, we tend to have some sort of false beliefs or false assumptions about money or about our spouse. And um, it causes these sort of knee-jerk reactions that we don't even realize we're, we're having. And sort of this feeling like, for example, FOMO, you know, fear of missing out. Like, if I don't get this thing right now, I'm never going to be able to get it again. Like, that's a very irrational false belief, but we have a knee-jerk reaction based on it as every store who has ever put 60% off today in the windows knows. And, um, and so that's very much a piece of what's going on as well. So those five things, what we found in general, is if the tension is not about the money, then what is it about? It's often tied to one of those five things. And how many people did you survey in your research? Because I know it was thousands. Mm-hmm. Do you have an actual number? Yep. We used for this um, project, it was more than 3,000 people that we did interviews, focus groups, and surveys with. Mm-hmm. And then we drew on some of the, and built on some of the other research that we had done over the years, which was more than 20,000 people. Wow. Yeah. And I love how you brought their stories throughout the book and you had different know, graphs and charts and it just really made it come alive. So it wasn't just, this is your relationship and this is what you guys (laughs) have struggled with, but really across the board, there's so many similarities and that was just really helpful. And one of the things I talked to you about before we started this interview that I have come across in talking to so many women who struggle in with budgeting and finances and all that is that they feel like they just can't talk to their spouse about money. In fact, I told you that in when people sign up for my email newsletter, they get a, a welcome email from me. And then the second email that they get is a question that says, you know, what's your greatest struggle when it comes to budgeting? And so many women just respond and say, my husband. <laughs> and so... I know that, that couples, they want to be able to talk about this, yeah. and but they don't know how. And a lot of times they haven't had great models. There's yeah. been a lot of fighting and arguing or parents that just, you know, pretend it doesn't, they just don't even talk about it at all. And so in your research in this book, what would you say are some things that can help couples who they want to start having conversations about money, but they don't even know the first step they should take? Well, first of all, probably the most encouraging thing is to realize you're not alone. Mm -hmm. Um, We actually found statistically 
that 77% of couples can't talk about money well without that kind of arguing or disconnection or avoidance or whatever. Now, 23% can. And for those of you who are listening to this and who are in that 23%, we're jealous of you. (laughs) We kind of think you're mutants because that does not come naturally to a lot of people. So if you're in that 23%, maybe use this as a, here's how I can help a friend Mm kind of thing. Um, But for those of you who are in the 77%, like we were, um, just be encouraged that that is very common. And statistically, what we found is incredibly simple. The key that I, I think is probably the starting point is my guess is if you're listening to this, you are probably like my husband. If you are listening to Crystal's podcast, you are probably the one who is very motivated to have the financial plan, to have the financial budget. Um, you think that way. You're maybe, my guess is a little bit more of a saver than a spender. Um, and that would all be what Jeff is like. I am the opposite of that. Um, I am much more the one who's like, hey, you know, we need to live for today as well as save for tomorrow. Like, you know, God promises us good things too today. And, and that was often a conflict for me and Jeff. And let me just give you a quick example of a story of how re- very recently during this research project, this new knowledge helped change something for us. One of the things that Jeff had wanted to do, and I, I can't believe I'm going to admit this out loud, but <laughs> I'm going to tell your audience about this. One of the things that Jeff had wanted to do for years was go to one of the financial planning classes at our church. And this was a constant, hey, would you go this year? Hey, would you go this year? And I'd look at my calendar and be like, oh, gosh, you know, I'm traveling, I'm speaking, you know, these women's groups or or whatever. And so I'm going to miss this session or that session. And listen, Crystal, you probably can guess what I'm about to say. Those were reasons, but they weren't Mm -hmm. the real reason. I just didn't want to go with him. And so finally, he went alone. He signed up for the course and went all the weeks on his own because I wouldn't go. And some of your listeners are probably like, yes, that's my husband. Like, he just won't do this with me. And it was interesting. Once we started this research and started digging out what is on the inside, Mm -hmm. like what is going on under the surface, he actually came to me, to his credit. It was was amazing that he was able to sort of think this through because I hadn't gotten there yet. And he said, I think I realize what it was. And he said, I think it was that you know me. And you know I tend to be an all-or-nothing kind of guy, which he is, and you were scared subconsciously that I was going to come back from this financial course and put the family on the equivalent of a (laughs) 500-calorie-a-day diet. You know, like, we're just going to eat franks and beans in order to save all this money for a year. Won't that be fun? That was subconsciously what I was expecting. And he said, I think that's what you were expecting. And that's why you stayed away from all of those conversations. You didn't even want to have them because if you had them, you'd have to reckon with this part of me and you didn't want to have those arguments. And so it was easier just not to go. Mm. And I went, wow, yes, that completely 100% describes why I was avoiding it. And he said, and you know what? I also realized you value, this is getting to the two different values thing, right? He said, you value saving money. You value being wise with money, but you also value having a life. Mm-hmm. You're not as excited about the adventure of saving up. We can save up $25,000 in two years if we just do, you know, mm-hmm. this radical change. He's like, that would be fun for me. And he said, I realize it wouldn't be fun for you. And you want to have a life and I get it. And I'm sorry. 
And that one statement, that one conversation did more than almost anything else to make me be willing to listen and open Mm -hmm. up and hear what mattered to him Mm -hmm. and what he valued because I didn't feel like I was going to be trampled. And that is one thing just for those of you who are very into saving money and who are very into planning is recognize that your spouse may actually value something different and is instinctively resisting this because I feel like they're going to be trampled Mm. and what they value isn't going to be valued. That is so powerful. And I was thinking it's, that can be applied to so many other areas of our life, not just money. I love in your book where you talk about um, having each of you fill in the blank of, I struggle with blank because I don't like to blank. And I thought that, you know, just completing that sentence and understanding where the tension is and how we're so different. And you say, you know, yours was, I struggle to talk about budgets with Jeff because I don't like compromising on what I want to buy and do. And his was, I avoid being the one to track the bills each month because I don't like focusing on the fact that my entrepreneurial career choices haven't yielded the income to our family that I thought they would. And I just think understanding the heart of you know, how we're approaching this, it it makes such a difference. It reminds me of my husband when we were first married. I, he was always wanting to go out and buy stuff. Like somebody would get sick and he goes to Walgreens and he would buy all this medicine. And I would think we have medicine in the cupboard. Like, why are you going to, we don't have money in the budget for you to go buy medicine at Walgreens, but he'd come home and he'd be all proud of his. And I finally realized that is how he shows love. Yeah. Is he's trying to serve me and I'm rejecting it and making him feel rejected just because it's not in the budget, quote unquote. And you know how I was stifling him so much and this thing that he wanted to do to show love because I wasn't seeing it. I was seeing it not as love, but him going out and blowing the budget. And, and so just having that different perspective and when I finally understood it and it took me years and a very major purchase of a car for me that I got mad about. Um, before I finally we won't realized, talk about that. <laughs> yes, this is a long story. But um, before I finally realized, oh, he's trying to show me love. He's trying to provide for our family. He's trying to take care of me, and I'm rejecting it and just making him feel rejected over and over and over. There is something really profound that all of us have to deal with. Me, Jeff you, your husband, everybody, we all have to come to terms with this subconscious thing that we have inside. And I, it's hard to even describe because it sounds so foolish, but this, it really is this subconscious belief that we're just clearly right. Mm. And Jeff, the way he puts it and this, I'm not telling tales on him. He says this in the book um, is that he just thought I had a character flaw, mm. right? He just thought it was so clearly wrong the way that I was handling money. And so poor thing. You know, she just has a character flaw. And that's honestly what all of us have this this subconscious thing. I shouldn't say all of us. Two-thirds of people on the survey confess to this. I think it might be higher, but that's (laughs) the number that came out on the survey. And, And really, truly, there is something inside our heart and mind where if we disagree with somebody's values, like your husband buying the the medicine, because it wasn't in the budget. I mean, come on, we have medicine in the cabinet. You know, that's just clearly wrong. There's something that looks at the other person and says, this is a a bit of a character flaw, Mm -hmm. and I just have to educate them. Like, clearly, if we worked on this hard enough, they would come to agree with me. They would see how logical my my position Mm -hmm. is. Instead of 
looking at the other person and going, oh my goodness, this is a different human being from me. They care about things that are different, like actually care. It actually matters to them that they're doing things this way. And for that reason, and oh my goodness, maybe their reasons and what they care about is just as legitimate as what I care about. Mm. That's like this strange thought for some of us. (laughs) I was just thinking that is such a powerful understanding right there. It can change your marriage just to, instead of seeing if they have a different perspective, that it's a character flaw, Yeah, you know, and that it's instead of seeing it as, no, it's a different set of values and it's just as valid as me and the way that I view things and I view life and just in our current political climate, oh my goodness! I was just thinking that if we could approach, it would change a lot relationships of relationships like that. <laughs> yes. Wow! Instead of feeling like it's my job to educate you, because clearly you just don't see it the right way. It. Yes. <laughs> um, I love this quote in your book that says, "Here's the other startling finding: being able to talk about money at all, even if it's awkward and uncomfortable, is more important than having a financial cushion." That's pretty strong there. It is a pretty strong statement. And I know every single one of your listeners is going, what? (laughs) You know, let me tell you why I said that. Because statistically, believe it or not, it came out this way. We, We had, I should explain, that as part of these big nationally representative surveys, for years, our main survey design consultant has been this awesome guy named Chuck Cowan. He used to be chief of survey design at the U.S. Census Bureau. And so he's the one who keeps us honest statistically and make sure that the way we're designing the surveys is valid and all that. He was so interested in this topic because this was an area where for him and his wife as well, that he ran all sorts of extra regression analyses on, on the data. And one of the things that he found, and we actually ran it in two different ways independently, and it came out both times, was that when you're trying to figure out what's going to improve your relationship. Now, remember, We're not talking about what's going to improve your budget the most or what's going to improve, maximize your income the most. What's going to improve your relationship the most? The the first thing that was sort of the most obvious was that if you build cushion, if you have some form of cushion, it actually helps the relationship. It's protective, which Mm -hmm. is not a surprise because... You know, if you've built up some emergency funds and you go through a time like we've just been going through of economic uncertainty, you're not as thrown. You're probably not going to fight as much. You feel like we've got a little bit to fall back on. So that wasn't a surprise. It was actually good for people like you (laughs) to see statistically that that matters. But there was something else that mattered more. And that was whether you can talk about money well without this sense of avoidance or frustration or tension or fighting. If you can talk about money well without that, it actually turns out to be statistically more important than building cushion. In fact, and here's the key for some of you, if you build the cushion up but cannot talk about money, the relationship statistically is likely to be worse than if you had no cushion, but you could at least communicate about money. Wow. That's... I don't even, you know, I feel like for so many people, they, I mean, that's a tough pill to swallow. It's all been about the cushion. It's all been about the plan and it's all been about the building of the finances, which don't get me wrong. 
that's not bad. Obviously, mm-hmm. statistically, we found that was that's a good thing. It's it's valid. It's a good value to have that all your listeners really care about. That's a very, very good thing. What I think maybe some of us have missed over the years, and it's maybe a function of all the books that have been written on money management mm-hmm. tend to focus on the money management, mm-hmm. right? They tend to focus on the numbers and this the sort of the technical piece of this. And what's been missing is that there's this whole other piece of the puzzle, which is how do you get to that in a way that honors both people? Mm. How do you get to that in a way that honors the relationship and honors the fact that, I'm going to say this carefully, that if God brought you and me to be we, right, and if we're no longer two people but we're one person Mm. and we're supposed to have the sense of oneness, that means by definition both people's cares and values, what they are scared about, what they're worried about, their expectations, both of them matter. And so often it has been sort of de facto that those of us who aren't as oriented towards saving every dime feel like our our opinions don't count. And so there's a little bit of resentment, there's a little bit of backing away, and it hurts the relationship, which is, I loved what some of the people in my interviews said, I care about you, I care about our finances, but I care about us much more. Mm -hmm. Marriage is more important than our finances. And that's a hard thing to sort of grapple with, but if you can grapple with it and recognize that talking about it and being able to understand what's going on in yourself and in your spouse leads to this kind of communication, that allows for both the planning and the building of the cushion and the ability to create a great relationship around money. So good. There's so much more that I want to ask you, but <laughs> our time is up. And so I just want to encourage everyone who is listening. If this has in any way piqued your interest, if you say, I want to have a better relationship with my spouse when it comes to money, or just in general, I want to have a better understanding of my spouse. I want to understand their values. I want to be able to start having these conversations without it leading to just conflict and tension. You've got to go get a copy of Thriving in Love and Money, Five Game-Changing Insights About Your Relationship, Your Money, and Yourself by Shanti and Jeff Feldham. And of course, we will link to it in the show notes. Thank you so much, Shanti, for being here. Thanks for letting me share with your folks, Crystal. I really appreciate that. As always, if you have any question on any topic you'd love for Jesse and I to answer on a future episode, or you just have feedback or suggestions, or you'd love for us to change something or do something different, we love to hear from you. We love your emails. And so you can send an email to crystal at moneysavingmom.com. Thank you so much for joining us on today's episode of the Crystal Payne Show. Have a great week. And remember, you can't always choose your circumstances, but you can always choose your attitude. Thank you for joining us today. For more great resources, please visit crystalpain.com.